Generations Church, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday service online. Today we'll be in Exodus chapter 7. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, a lot of scripture, so like an hour or two maybe, probably not, uh, because I have to do this outdoors too and it's going to be really hot. So you guys get the best version. So Exodus chapter 7, we're going to work through the major plagues uh, that take place in Egypt. And we're in this in this series through the book of Exodus, as we look at how God reveals himself in hard times, uh, how God shows himself to us in the hard seasons of life. And, and we're contrasting that with how in the easier times we may not learn or understand or see the same things that God is doing. But in the hard times, if we're willing to, to press in, if we're willing to see God, to to lift our eyes up off of our circumstances, then God will reveal himself in amazing ways. So if you're a note taker and this is in the church app, uh, restoration is the theme for today. So God provides rest and healing in times of hardship through submission and obedience to him. We tend to only want to go as far as we are comfortable, but God is calling us further for our own benefits. So God provides restoration healing, redemption, restoration, right? He provides that in hardship as we submit and obey. In those times where we do what God has called us to do, uh, God calls us into that for our good. And then in that, we find our rest, we find our restoration, we find our healing. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we will dive into Exodus chapter 7. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning um, I know that we're coming together, some are local, some are out of the area, that uh, there are uh, many folks just joining us online. And so thank you for that. We gather as a church, even if it's digitally, Lord, and today we will, we will share that with people in person, outdoors, and online. And God, we will continue to do this as long as we need. And so will you meet us where we are? Meet us at home, meet us here, meet us as we gather digitally, meet us in our community groups, in our small groups throughout the week, please. Help draw us nearer together even when we can't physically be together. God, thank you for the book of Exodus, for how relevant it is to our lives today. Thank you that you reveal yourself to people. God, that you show us who you are, especially in hard times. Will you lead us through your word today? In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 7, starting in verse 1, says this, and the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother shall be your prophet. Now, that's an odd passage, an odd thing for God to say, that listen, Moses, you're like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron is like your prophet. But what he's saying is that he is going to go and be, uh, speak for God to Pharaoh, and he's going to bring Aaron, and just like God is telling Moses what to do, Moses is telling Aaron what to do, and Aaron is then doing it. And so, Moses is representing God to Pharaoh, and Aaron is representing God to Pharaoh as like the prophet of Moses. And a prophet is simply someone who speaks someone else's word. So in a biblical sense, someone who speaks God's word with God's authority and most often to God's people. In this case, however, it's to Pharaoh and not God's people. So it is God, his messenger, speaking his message with his authority, in this case, to Pharaoh. So again, if you're a note taker, making us like God. The commands and promises of the Bible are about our transformation, ultimately to become more like Jesus. Like Moses, we can represent God to others as God empowers the change in us. 
Just consider that in Moses for a minute. Moses has gone from being a guy on the run for murder in the desert who was not a follower of God to now a faithful follower of God who is doing hard things on behalf of God. He's going into Pharaoh, the most powerful human being, leading the most powerful empire on the planet at the time. And he is going in and he's representing what God is or who God is and what God is saying. He's representing that to Pharaoh. And it's not like God is saying, hey, I love you, everything's going to be good, right? He's saying, no, let my people go or I'm going to crush you. And so Moses, this guy, just this guy, but empowered by God, is going in and he is representing God to the most powerful man alive. And so just like that, in our transformation, as we do what God has called us to do, as we become who God has called us and created us to be, God transforms us and makes us more like him, more like Jesus. And in that, others get to see God through us. Verse 2, God says to Moses, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So let's not just pretend, right, that the call of God here is easy. What Moses is doing is very hard. The message from God is not only challenging and hard to Pharaoh, hey, release the entire nation that's working for you for free, or I'm going to crush you. So there's a message that's really hard. But then God tells Moses, when you tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. I'm going to actually judge Pharaoh for this. I'm going to crush Pharaoh in this. And so not only are you going to go say hard things to an, uh, to an important and powerful person who physically is, or uh, humanly is a very powerful person, so you're going to do that, but he's also not going to listen. And he is going to make your life hard, but I'm still in charge. I'm still doing this. I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart. I'm causing the things to happen so that ultimately they will turn out the way I desire them to turn out. Verse 6 says this, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Short form, they obey, right? That's just the easy part, like they do it. And for us, we have to remember sometimes just the easiest thing to be obedient, or the easiest way to obey God is just, just do what he says. It may be hard, he may say it's going to be hard, people may not listen, people may not like it, but go and do what God has called us to do. And in this setting, God is telling Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to release the Hebrews, release Israel. And Moses is going to bring his brother Aaron, and Aaron's going to do the miraculous things in front of Pharaoh that God has told him to do. But in that, in this place, God is saying still, I'm going to still harden Pharaoh's heart, and I'm going to do that so that eventually he'll pay you to go. And we're going to watch as that, as that shift takes place here around Israel, and the next week we'll actually see Israel leave Egypt. So obedience, if you're a note taker, we see God most active in us when we obey him. He calls us to do something challenging and beyond our human ability, and then God shows up in powerful ways. Our obedience is what God often uses to reveal himself. It's in our obedience that God often shows up and reveals himself. Just imagine this, whether you're a parent or just any human setting, this will make sense, but if you're going to reveal yourself to someone, are you going to re reveal yourself to someone who's disobedient, 
who's not doing what you asked of them, who is not uh, obedient to you, or are you going to wait until they turn and are doing what you call them to do and then reveal yourself? So if you're God, this makes sense, right? Moses and Aaron obey, and God is doing incredible things through them. And so just like us today, when we're disobedient, sometimes we don't see God where we are. But when we turn and we pivot and we begin to obey God, God reveals himself. God shows up. It doesn't mean make everything perfect or easy, because that's not what's happening. But it's in their obedience where they get to see God. Verse 7. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old, just in case you guys thought these were young kids, right? When they spoke to Pharaoh... And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you will say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. So remember, this is what God has said you're going to do. You're going to cast down the staff. It's going to become a snake, right? And then you're going to do that. Remember when he did it with Moses the first time, Moses got scared and ran away because he was scared of snakes. And so Moses has Aaron doing this now. And so they go into Pharaoh, and this is what they're going to do. Verse 11, it says, Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. At first glance, uh, as, as a pastor teaching this passage, at, at first glance, this is the passage that probably bothers me the most, right? Now, later passages make sense of it, but this is the one that I'm like, okay, why this, right? Says the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret art. So Aaron goes in and Pharaoh says, prove you're from God. So Moses says, hey, Aaron, that's your cue. Do the staff trick, right? Throw your staff on the ground. It's to become a snake. Pharaoh's going to be all impressed by this and do what we've asked him to do. So Aaron throws his staff on the ground. It becomes a serpent. And Pharaoh calls for his buddies, the magicians, and they come in. They all throw their staffs on the ground, and they all become snakes. That's the part that bugs me. Like, okay, why, God, did you have them do something that others can do? Like, I, why? And then I like the part where it says that Aaron's staff, then his snake, you know, swallows up all the other ones. So yeah, God is greater, but why, God, would you, why would you have them do something that's just like a little bit better than what the others can do? Like, why is this? Now, that's a question. That's a great, if you're reading along, you're just asking that question. It's a great place just to ask, okay, God, why? It's important that we keep going and understand what God ultimately does, right? So verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take your hand, take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And then you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far, Moses speaking to Pharaoh, but so far you've not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. And the fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. So a shift takes place, and in what Moses is doing, Moses is saying, okay, here's what I'm going to do before he does it. Now, up until this point, Moses has said, just release the people. This is what God says, release the people. Pharaoh says, prove that you're from God. So they have this trick with a staff that becomes a snake, but there's no prophecy fulfillment. There's no, hey, I'm going to do this, 
And then this, and then doing it to prove that, as God often does, that he knows the future, that he causes the future, like we said in early Exodus chapters. This time, Pharaoh catches, or Moses catches Pharaoh out by the Nile getting water in the morning and says, listen, here's the deal. You haven't listened so far. Here's what's going to happen. If you don't listen, I'm going to turn the, the Nile, the Nile River, the massive river that feeds a lot of the water for Egypt, that feeds that to them. I'm going to turn that into blood. The fish will die. There's a whole thing, right? It's going to be bad. The whole economy, everything that depends on this all will fall to it. So now he says, I'm going to do this in advance. Verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water so that they may become blood. And so there shall, there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. So imagine all the things that were dipped into the Nile to get water that have been now taken home, that too is included. So Moses and Aaron did, verse 20, as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank. I love that. And the Nile stunk, stank. So that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So all those people that had gotten containers of water out there are now in their homes. Now they have blood. They have this stinking water. And the fish have died, and so you're losing water, you're losing food, you have this smell, it's a whole thing going on. So Moses does this, but I like that Moses tells him what he's going to do, hey, either you obey or this is what's up, this is what happens. Because only God can tell the future, and Moses is allowing God to use him and speak through him, and he trusts him. He's not just putting his staff in the water and hoping, hey, I hope this works, right? Like, I hope it actually turns into blood, and I hope that God does his thing. Rather, he's telling Pharaoh, hey, either you do this, or here's what I'm going to do. And then he doesn't do it, so God says, okay, do it. Go, go put your staff on the Nile. And he trusts God that God is actually going to do what he says he will do. He's allowing him to use him in that way. Verse 22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So all along, God is saying, he won't listen, he won't listen, he won't listen, but I'm going to keep ramping it up. He'll eventually listen, but at first he's not going to listen. So again, God telling the future, God being right, God causing the future for his glory and ultimately for their good. Verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went into his house and did not even take, it, take this to heart. So this was kind of didn't go well, right? So now other people turn water into blood. And so Pharaoh's not giving this much of a thought. Verse 24, and all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So again, the Egyptians try and replicate, and they can, they replicate, in small part, they replicate this by turning water into blood. But here's the thing, they can't make it go away. And so yeah, they did this, but now they can't make it go backwards. They can't take the curse away, but they were able to do it. Just like the snakes, their staffs went down and became snakes, but then Aaron's staff, the snake, ate them all up. So they didn't have the opportunity to make it a staff again as Aaron did. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with fogs and shall come up into your house, into your bedroom and on your bed, into the houses of your servants, of your people. And 
into your ovens and on your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. Verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools. Make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Same basic concept, same basic story, except now frogs, right? So God is causing this, this curse of frogs, this plague of frogs to come up. But then the magicians jump in and they add to it, the, the Egyptian magicians. And at some point you have to ask yourself, as all these things are going on, like at what point is it better to make more problem? But that's what they're doing. They're replicating what God is doing. Again, when I read through this, especially in the first time that I read through this, it's like, okay, God, why, why are you doing this? Like, why, why not do something they can't do? Or why not let them do it? Like, why not be so different, right? Verse 8, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go and sacrifice to the Lord. The Egyptians or the Egyptian magicians, replicate the plagues that Moses and Aaron are causing because God is giving that to them. And, and they're doing that again, but again, they're only adding to the problem. They can't take it away. So they, they can make frogs come up, but they can't take them away. And so these frogs are coming. And, and just imagine, I don't know if you've ever seen this in movie form or anything else, but just imagine being overrun with these frogs and they're jumping into your food. And most people don't love frogs anyhow. And I don't think anybody thinks they're like super clean and cool. So again, there's this thing and it's just, it was wrecking their life. And so it's jumping into their food and jumping into the water and jumping into the house and jumping into their bed. And it's just all over the place. And the Egyptian magicians, they can make a frog come out of the water, but they can't make them go back in. So now they're just overwhelmed with frogs. And Pharaoh goes to Moses and Aaron. He says, please, Plead with your God, take away the frogs, I'll let your people worship. That's where we pick the story up. But I want, just if you're a note taker, I want to press in on this for a minute. Imitation, right? There's lots of counterfeit spirituality that exists today. Psychics, new age mysticism, and false versions of Christianity. Think like prosperity doctrine where God wants everybody to be rich and healthy, and if you're not rich and healthy, you must lack faith or whatever. Some imitate what God does, but are counterfeits that leave you wanting the genuine article, Jesus himself. I think God shows us this. I think we see the Egyptians counterfeit the plagues, counterfeit the miraculous that, that Moses and Aaron are doing. I think God allows that because ultimately they're left coming up short. They're imitations. They're not the real thing. They can't make it go away. So ultimately, Pharaoh is drawn back to Moses, back to Aaron. In our lives, sometimes we buy into the imitation. Sometimes we buy into the fake, right? We let that kind of, that, well, this is the easier version of that. Well, this is the church that doesn't talk about sin a lot and always wants me to make me feel good, so I want to go over there, right? Not over to this church that talks about our sin and our struggles and things that are, that are hard. I'm going to do this, but this is fake because the Bible deals with real life and deals with our problems and deals with our struggles, Right? And once we, we buy into that imitation, at the end of it, we're left empty. And that's what happens here. Even though they can replicate the curse, they can't make it go away because they're not God. God is the genuine article. Jesus is the real deal. And that comes with everything, including submission. Verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me 
when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses be left only in the Nile. Cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. So now Pharaoh needs God. And so he asked Moses for help. Verse 10, and he said, tomorrow. I love this. I only put that part of the verse up for right now. Moses says, tomorrow. I love that. Things are going really bad. Moses is, uh, Pharaoh's gone to Moses and is pleading like, hey, please take it all away. And Moses says, you got it, tomorrow, right? Like one more night just to make sure you understand that this is God. Verse 10, and he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and the servants of your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs and he had agreed with Pharaoh and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, in the courtyards and in the fields and they gathered them together in the heaps and the land stank. <laughs> I wish the story changed here and like, cool man, the frogs was the last deal. But this is chapter after chapter. This is, this is plague after plague after plague. And, and God has said, listen, he's not, he's not going to listen. I'm going to harden his heart. Like, this isn't going to go easy. But it reminds me of kind of the, the place we're in right now. It seems like the problems are just perpetually going on. Whether it be coronavirus or the racial tensions or the riots or the, just the economy or the whatever it just seems like our struggles and our, and our shutdown and online school and church and all that, it just seems like it's going on and on and on. We're coming up on six months, six months of doing this. And it wears on us. And I know it wears on everyone. It's hard. It's, there are some of you that I know really well and I love and care about and I haven't seen you in six months. Maybe some on digital, like on Zoom or something, but for the most part, not in months. And I just think about this, and, and, and this story becomes so relevant. I wish the story changed right here because it'd be great to get to the rest of the story, but sometimes the struggle just continues. Verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. I love this. Not only is God hardening his heart, but Pharaoh's hardening his heart. He sees a break. He gets a break from all the frogs and all the whole thing. And yeah, there's still a big stink in the land, but gives Pharaoh enough time to kind of walk back his decision. I'm going to work through the other plagues a little faster and just show you distinctions and changes, right? We're going to cover nine of the plagues today. We'll leave the 10th plague for next week, but we'll just look at some distinctions. So verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land. So a plague of gnats. And just, if you're not familiar, gnats are little tiny flying insects, just annoying. But just imagine just millions and billions of those, just tons of gnats everywhere as you Breathe in, you say, oh, it's all gnats, and it'd be nasty, right? And there's this just plague of gnats, and so they kind of take some of this dirt and throw it up in the air, and it all becomes gnats. It sounds like a horror movie. Verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats. I love this. But they could not do it. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
So now we're talking. The magicians try and replicate this. Now, I don't, again, know why, if you've already got a plague of gnats, why you would want to add to them. But up until this point, they've been able to replicate doing it, but not be able to take it away. Now they try and do this, and they can't. And they look over to Pharaoh, and they're like, okay, this is the finger of God. Here's a note for you. When imitation fails us, there comes a time when false religion, or even faking it in our own faith, takes its toll on us. Normally that comes in hard seasons of life, like today. But it forces us to really look at where God truly is. In this moment, we don't have all the frills of being able to gather together and bring in a nice cup of coffee and a donut and hang out in here and sit with our buddies and see our friends and, and sing together and hear one another and, and hug one another and be with one another. We've lost a lot of that to online church. And I'm grateful that we have an internet. I'm grateful that we have online church. I'm grateful we have the capacity to gather in this way. But we don't have everything we want. And it's in those moments where we have to look up beyond what we're missing and look at what we have and look at what God is giving us and look at how God has cared for us in this moment. When the imitation fails us, when the, when the flaws and, 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 and all that is not real goes away, we have to look up and say, okay, what is real? And in this moment, it is clinging to Jesus. In this moment, it is even clinging to the church that our family of faith together is real, is genuine, and will carry each other through this, that God is showing up in real and palatable ways. Verse 20, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else you will not let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will happen. Verse 24, and the Lord did so, there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarm of flies. Now, if there's anything worse than little tiny gnats flying around, it's big, ugly flies that land on, you know what, and then fly around and then want to land on you, right? It's kind of nasty. And so here's this plague now of flies. But I love this. There's a distinction, not in Goshen where Israel is, but in Pharaoh's house and Egyptians' houses, that's where the flies are. And God is saying, listen, I am making a distinction now. Now I'm showing you my power. I can choose to plague who I want, bless who I want. I'm God, you're not, I'm doing this, and you're going to let my people go one way or another. Verse 25, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. Now, I've been reading longer passages. We've got a lot to cover today. But he says, let your people worship here in Egypt right? Go do that. What he's doing is kind of half-stepping with Moses. He's, he's allowing kind of what they want, but not really what they want, right? And I, I kind of relate this to if you've ever just kind of halfway done what God wants you to do. Like God says, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, well, I'm not super comfortable with all of that. So I'm going to do what I like. And I'm going to go over here. And I'm going to go about halfway. And that never works. That's never enough. When God is calling us to something, he's calling us to all of it. And so in this moment, Pharaoh's like, okay, well, let them worship, but let them worship here in Egypt, right? Verse 26, 
But Moses said it would not be right to do so for the offerings that we will sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Tell God, please take away the flies, the gnats, the curses. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. I love it. Again, tomorrow. Like, let's sit on this one overnight. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So here's what I like, and here's what we need to learn from. Moses doesn't go halfway. Moses holds Pharaoh to all that God has called him to. Now, Moses can't control Pharaoh. Moses has told him, hey, don't cheat like the last time, right? But no, I'm not willing to compromise. I think as we look at this, we have to understand when we go halfway or when we compromise our faith. Right? Yeah, maybe we're going halfway towards God, but we're also halfway disobedient. And Moses toes the line there, like, I'm going to stay with everything that God has called me to. So here's a note for you. Doing what is right completely. God engages us as we obey completely. There are many opportunities to settle for only half obeying God, which is, is no obedience at all. Compromise always hurts us and isn't pleasing to God. Compromise always hurts us and it isn't pleasing to God. So again, half obedience isn't obedience, right? If your kid tells you half the truth, were they honest or dishonest? They were dishonest, right? Because they halfway lied to you or they fully lied to you by only telling you half the truth. And so that's what we're seeing here. When God calls us to something, God wants us to do it all the way, wholeheartedly, fully. Verse 30, so Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Same thing, right? Again. Now I want to speed up a little bit more. So Exodus 9, we're going to skip down to verse 3. It says, Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. So again, here's a plague, but only on you, not on the people of Israel. Verse, uh, skip down to verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So God causes death throughout the cattle and the herds of Egypt, but not in Israel, not in Goshen where Israel lives. And so God is making that distinction. He's, he's guarding and protecting his people, and then he is beginning to crush Egypt. But now, now Pharaoh is just angry. Now Pharaoh is hardened. His heart is hardened, and he does not relent. Verse 8, and it says, And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh and it shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians." But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, so he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So again, we're reminded, hey, God said it would go this way, 
Moses is doing what he's called to do. God is doing exactly what he said he's going to do. And Pharaoh has got a hard heart and is not yet relenting. And this one, as he blows this dust up in the air, it says that it lands on people and becomes boils all over their skin and painful and sick and and just nasty. And these boils are on these people. And so I love the narrative of the magicians, right? In the beginning, the magicians could duplicate what Aaron was doing. But then they couldn't take it away, but they could do it, right? So they did that a few times, and all of a sudden they couldn't do it, and they're like, hey, that's God. We can't even do that. And now they're being affected by the plagues. Now the dust goes up in the air, and it's landing on them. They can't even show up to Pharaoh because they're all covered in boils. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning. I love that all these plagues take place first thing in the morning with Pharaoh, right? He doesn't get any rest. That's good. Rise up early in the morning and present yourselves before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, on you yourself, on your servants, on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence or disease, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. Hear this. God saying this to the most powerful man on the planet, right? Who is resisting God. God says this, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. For this purpose, Pharaoh, God says, I have raised you up. You're in power because I put you there, God says. Because I'm God, you're not. Because I'm sovereign and I put you there. I put you there for my purposes, he says, so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. So God's purposes, if you're a note taker, here you go. We can't always see what God accomplishes in hard times. God shows Moses how he is saving Israel and those in Egypt who will listen. Our witness in the world is in our faith that God is working things to his glory and our good. We can't always see things in the moment, right? We can't always see how it is that things are working out. If you're a part of Egypt and all you see is frogs or flies or gnats or boils, that's what you see. But right now, God is saying, listen, I'm doing this for a purpose. And Moses, Moses is being obedient. His witness to others is in his obedience in this hard time. In this time where Pharaoh will not relent, Pharaoh will not give up, Moses continues to obey what God calls him to do. And by this, he shows the world who God is. Verse 18, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, sin, get your livestock, all that you have in the field, into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So there's this plague of hail coming, like hail, like I imagine like hail like golf balls coming down and hitting and killing people. But there's a significant change. Now there's an opportunity for Egyptians to be saved from the plague. Now, if the Egyptians will listen and they will put their animals and their servants and their people and themselves away, they won't be impacted. But if they won't listen to God, everybody's fair game. Skip down to verse 27. It says this, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pharaoh says to Moses and Aaron, I have sinned. God is right, 
I am wrong. Verse 34. But when, Mo, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So again, we have this reassurance. Though Pharaoh is all over the place, he's resistant. He brings out his magicians and kind of laughs off Moses and Aaron when his magicians can do the same thing. Then he realizes, hey, I can't get rid of this stuff, so Moses and Aaron need to come back. Then he tries to compromise and, and negotiate, but Moses is kind of holding firm. Then other things happen, and, and, and it presses on Pharaoh, and it presses on Pharaoh, and more plagues, and more plagues, and more plagues. And finally, Pharaoh says, okay, I've sinned. I'm wrong. God's right. I'm sorry. I'm going to release the people. And so Moses gets rid of these plagues, and God gives this moment of rest, and Pharaoh again just relents, uh, reneges on the deal, and just says, no, I'm not going to let him go. And so we have this back and forth, what we see changes, and we see how Pharaoh is changing even. So Exodus 10, we're going to skip down to Exodus 10, verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Right? Then there's a plague of locusts now, and a plague of darkness is coming. All these things are taking place down to verse 7. It says, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How shall this man how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? Everyone is now coming to, Egypt, to, to Pharaoh. Egyptians are coming to Pharaoh, probably royalty. Uh, the people that he knows, his friends, like people are coming to Pharaoh and saying, listen, don't you get it? Like you're destroying Egypt over this. Like just let them go. It's not worth it anymore. Now there's been locusts that came in and devoured their crops and their food, and darkness has settled on the land, and there is no light. And as this goes on and goes on, people are telling Pharaoh, hey, listen, it's time to quit, man. It's time to tap out. Let Moses and Aaron take the Israelites. Let them go. Just let them go. It's not worth it anymore. Verse 16 says this, and we'll close with these two verses. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. Please take this death away. I want to pause here. Next week, we will get into the Passover and the death of the firstborn, the final plague that causes Pharaoh to actually act. Not just say he's going to, but actually do it. But this moment right here, we've, we've seen a resistant Pharaoh who kind of laughs it all off. And then we've seen a Pharaoh who's like, well, okay, but I need him to get rid of the problem, right? Like, I'm going to rub the lamp and there's the genie. That's what I need from God right now. And you fast forward and there's a lot of hard-heartedness, a lot of back and forth, and God keeps pressing. God gets harder and harder, keeps pressing on Pharaoh. And then finally Pharaoh says, okay, I've sinned against you, God. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You're right. I'll do what you say. But then goes back. And now we're in that place again, like, okay, I quit. I give up. You see, the gospel message is, is kind of that. It's, that. it's that back and forth between you and I and God. It, it's that, that moment of, okay, God, I know that you're saying something to me, but in the beginning, we just kind of reject it and write it off. But then there have been those times where I cry out to God like, okay, hey, I'm in, I'm in real trouble here, God. I, I really need your help. Like we rub the lamp and out comes the genie, God, and we're like, hey, God, I really need help, right? And hey, I'll, I'll, I'll really, I'll go to church, I swear. And then we don't. 
And then we go back to God. Then things get so hard that we cry out to God that we just, okay, God, I really need your help. And so God shows up, God arrives. And then we forget so quickly. Things get easier, things get better, and we just kind of go back to how we were. Is it this back and forth and back and forth? See, the gospel message is that cry out to us, that call that reminds us, hey, God is here, that God is powerful, that God is loving, that God will fix the problems, but our job is to obey God. That our job is to obey God all the time, to be submitted to God, to be obedient to God, because sin is that very thing that separated us from God. Doing our own thing is the very thing separating us from God. But God has provided a way, like God giving Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, God has given us Christ. That Jesus, God the Son, would come down, God become flesh for us, would come and live the life that we're called to live and and bridge the gap by his death, the penalty that we owe God for our sin, that he would do that and and be uh, be killed for our sins, that we would be forgiven, that he would be laid in a grave so that our sins would be covered up, and that he would raised from the dead so that we could have new life. That's that gospel message that Jesus lived and died and rose again, and that he did so for us. He did it to forgive our sin and transform our lives. But here we go in this tug of war, this back and forth. We, we hear the message, then we ignore it. We hear the message, we kind of laugh it off, like, you know, those other people say that, and those people say that, and a psychic down the street, they say that too, and man, I, just, I don't need that. And then all of a sudden, we get to a place where like, hey, I really need this. Like, God, I really need your help. And so God shows up, and we forget. And then we relent, okay, it's gotten worse, it's gotten worse. And God, I really need you. God, I've sinned. I I need your forgiveness. And so God helps us. And then we forget. And we go back to the life that we were living all along. And it's this back and forth and back and forth. There's this place in Hebrews that really speaks to this really well. It's Hebrews 5. It says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He's in this passage and he's telling them to give up their immaturity and and press in. Hey, you've been flirting with this whole God, Jesus thing, church thing for a long time now. Like By now you ought to be teachers and yet you're you're still being taught. You keep pushing God away. You keep running to God when you need him and then running away from God when it's convenient and yet you should press in. You need milk like an infant rather than meat like an adult, like you're you're not even there. It's the cry of the gospel that we would surrender all of our lives to God. That like Jesus, that that we would give up everything, that we would be nailed to a cross if need be, that we would die for our faith, that we would give everything for God because God has given everything for us. So here's the call. Here's the challenge. We find ourselves today, unfortunately, more like Pharaoh than anybody else. And in our hardships, maybe we run to God, or maybe we harden our hearts. We go back and forth, but there's this tug of war with our faith, where God is saying, listen, all you got to do is listen to me, obey me, submit to me, do what I call you to do, and it'll take you right out of the struggle. And when you do this, not halfway, but you go all in, Chips across in the middle, all in, ready to go. When you do that, God shows up in amazing ways. And we turn from this back and forth and repentance and sin and repentance and sin, and we turn from this thing, and all of a sudden we walk into a brand new relationship with God. What's standing between us and that 
most often is us and doing things our way. Doing things that are convenient for us and not fully what God has called us to. Doing things that are easy for us and not the hard things that God might call us to. Trusting in ourselves and not trusting in God. But God calls us for us, says, listen, by now you should be so much further down the road. And we don't need to hear that and be discouraged by that. But rather, make this day the day we mark and say, you know what, no more. No more going back. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to press in to God. Hard times, easy times. I'm in. I'm, I'm there for God. I'm team Jesus. I'm in. And let today be that marker where when we look back in a year, we're like, that was the moment. Like we gave everything and we ran into the arms of Jesus. Generation Church, let that be us today. Hard times, easy times. What's in front of us? Hard times, we don't know. Easy, we don't know. Coronavirus going away, getting worse. We don't know. Politics getting worse, getting better. Probably not getting better, but you got the point. Riots, protests, racial tension, uh, police stuff, all that stuff. Is it going to get better or worse? We don't know. Here's what we know for sure. That God is faithful, that God is there, and that following God is our answer. It is the solution. It is what we need. Let's pray. God, we come today and just admit we do things so often, hard-heartedly. We do things our own way. We do what we want to do, not what you've called us to do. And God, I just pray that you would forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. None of us do this perfectly. None of us get this right all the time. We all sin and fall short of your glory, just as Romans says. So God, forgive us. Draw us near right now. Let this hard time, let this hard season, this distancing season, this tense season, this economic problem, this school and online church and all these different craziness, let this be the time when we just release everything and follow you, Lord. Let us not go halfway. We're not bartering with you. We need to follow you. Help us, God, to be yours and you will restore us. You will fulfill us. You will make us everything we are, we are created to be, Lord. And so we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We give our lives to you today. Will you transform us? Will you empower us to be yours? It's in your name we pray. Amen.